Let me run this by my lawyer is a really helpful phrase to have in your back pocket. Legal Shield has been giving legal peace of mind for over 50 years. They connect you to a vetted law firm in your state for an affordable monthly fee. Want an experienced set of eyes on a contract's fine print or you finally want to get that will done? Legal Shield has a dedicated group of lawyers who have your back no matter what the future brings. Sign up today at legalshield.com forward slash iHeart. PPLSI does not provide legal representation or advice. See a plan for complete terms. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. It's never been more important to diversify your financial portfolio. Well, that's right. The S&P is down 20% from the last year, and this year looks even worse. Gold and precious metals offer a hedge against inflation and stock market volatility. And Legacy Precious Metals is the company Ken and I trust. Protect your retirement account by rolling it into a gold-backed IRA or have metals shipped directly to your door. Call our friends at Legacy Precious Metals today at 866-691-2173. Or visit buylegacygold.com. John Cobelt's got a vacation week. I'm here with Deborah Mark, the news presenter. That's right. Uh, that's right. Uh, of course, the big story this afternoon and old Joe... Trotted out to the balcony of the Blue Room to make the announcement to the American people that uh, we've killed the head of Al-Qaeda. And no, you're not in a time warp. There is still Al-Qaeda, I guess. They believe it could be reassembling itself in a country like Afghanistan under Taliban rule. It's because we left. Uh, anyway, uh, his name is Awahiri. He's a doctor by trade, but of course a terrorist. He was long time seen by the side of Osama bin Laden and took over when bin Laden was killed in 2011. So they're saying a CIA drone strike has taken him out in Afghanistan. It happened over the weekend. No military personnel in the U.S. were involved. It was a remote drone strike that supposedly hit its target. We'll see. Al-Qaeda will probably release another video of Zawahiri in the next few days, acting like it's current and he's alive and ah, full deal. All right, right now we're going to talk once again to L.A. County Deputy D.A. John Lewin. The New York Post ran this story, the headline, Families Feel Tricked by L.A. County D.A. George Gascon Over Resentencing of Death Row Inmates. And it talks to the daughter of a man who was murdered back in the 1980s, saying her family was tricked by the D.A.'s office, pushing to commute the killer's death sentence to life without the possibility of parole, despite their opposition. So, John, welcome back to the show. How are you? Well, Ken, I wish I wasn't here, uh, it seems like, every week with the latest uh, horrendous situation involving my office, but 
I guess that's just uh, where we are today. So that headline is dead on target. Uh, absolutely correct. Uh, tricked, misled, lied to. What we basically have is we have a conspiracy by George Gascon, the public defenders that he have, that he's brought over. And by the way, they now occupy the entire chain of command in resentencing. So what they're able to do and what their plans are is they are basically going out and they are attempting to resentence every death penalty case. Um, next, it'll be life without parole cases. And the point of this is, is they want to free as many people as possible. And you ha- all you have to do is go back to George Gascon's directives. He believes that individuals should not serve more than 15 years in state prison, that they should have a, a hearing after 15 years, and, and you should then uh, let them out. They've served enough. It, it doesn't help to have them in custody. It doesn't do anything about recidivism, although obviously – Ken, I don't know about you, but the one great thing about people being in prison who are violent criminals is yeah. when they're in prison, prison they can't hurt anybody. That's right. At least, out, at least outside of prison. Now, some of the individuals that he seems to want to free are pretty busy uh, inside the walls uh, doing work there. But in any event, this is what you have. You have this conspiracy. And what they've done is the legislature is in on this as well as is Governor Newsom. Remember, Governor Newsom originally, when he campaigned, said that he would, uh, he would enact the death penalty. He would support the death penalty cases that were out there. He would do his job, even if he disagreed with it. And then as soon as he was elected, he completely backed away from that. Yeah, he put a moratorium then, on it. Right. He put a moratorium on it after saying the exact opposite, that he wouldn't. Of course, the media didn't really cover it. They worshipped him, even though it was a lie. They built a and whole a new death row for this. And then yeah, he just said, nope, we're not going that way. He did. After having said that he was going to follow the law, because that's right. his role. Right. So now you have the legislature doing the real hard work with uh, Mike Romano from Stanford. And they are basically, as much as they can, redoing the penal code so that they can get rid of a lot of the special circumstances. They want to get rid of the death penalty. They want to get rid of life without the possibility of parole. And why is that? Because once they do that, then they can go into court and they can start changing sentences. They can reduce murder cases to manslaughters. They can end up getting people out. They, these individuals will now qualify for things like elder parole, where if they've served 20 years and are over age 50, they can be paroled. They'll qualify for the, I was under 26 when I committed the crime and my brain wasn't developed, so uh, uh, I need to be freed. And they're doing it even worse. It's in the dark. Because what these uh, public defenders, who, by the way, they were public defenders until they came to the DA's office. Now, there are individuals like Diana Turan, who apparently was being paid by the public defender's office while she was handling cases as a prosecutor in our office. Now, how that can be possible is mind-boggling. But here's where we sit right now. So what they're doing is they are trying to bring these cases into court. And they don't want anybody to know, which is why the legislature passed a law that allows if both sides stipulate, they can do it without a hearing. Now, that was originally designed where you actually had two sides. That's right. Now we have we have public defenders on both sides, right? (laughs) Public defenders on both sides. So now they can do it in the dark. No one knows what's going on. They don't have have to tell the victims, families or anybody. Well, Marcy's Law would suggest that they do, as you're aware, when George Gascon got rid of our lifer unit, and right. then 
actually said we were not allowed to contact victims to even tell them about hearings. So they want to do it in as dark a room as possible, and apparently it just wasn't dark enough. So that's what they're doing now. That's the situation uh, that we're in. And if you look at this current situation um, where she's basically arguing that uh, this individual, just an awful case uh, involving this 42-year-old man kidnapped uh, when he was at work, leaves work to go get lunch, and he is executed by this violent individual. This guy is absolutely horrendous, um, unanimously uh, upheld his case by the Cal Supreme Court, unanimously sentenced to death. And now we've got Shailen Joseph coming into court. Now, remember, she was a public defender uh, until uh, – uh, quite recently. Right. Yeah, and her job was literally she was doing everything she could to get rid of death penalty cases. Now, she's discovered she can do a lot more as a DA than she could as a public defender. So <laughs> he's a model prisoner. He was only 21 at the time of this offense. And get this, Ken, he experienced hardship as a child. I oh, saw that, well then. And multiple learning disabilities that were never adequately treated. I, I want to see the study that demonstrates that multiple learning disabilities that are not adequately tre uh, treated turns individuals into homicidal maniacs who kidnap law-abiding citizens and execute them. Now, this poor man had three children. He was left on a railroad track, and when he was found hours later, he was still gurgling. He was still alive apparently unable to communicate. That's how he died. And this is somebody that we're going to end up letting out of prison eventually, because let's face it, that's what's going on here. They want to change it. There's no one's getting executed in this state. There's a right. moratorium. Well, that's their cover. They're saying, well, you know what? There's a moratorium on executions. So what does it matter? Let's just move them over to life without the possibility of parole. But as you pointed out, John, there is the possibility of parole. Well, well Ken, but here's what's interesting. If there's no death penalty case... If we're not actually doing death penalty in this state, we haven't had an execution since 2006, what would possibly be the reason that you would need to have these people resentenced? It's not as if they're about to get executed. And the answer is very simple. It's step one in their plan, and it's very clear. George Gascon talked about it in his original directives, etc. They want to free these individuals. They want them out. And, and I will tell you, it is a dereliction of duty by the district attorney's office to be doing this to these victims. It is beyond offensive. Um, we end up having, uh, again, if you look at, you know, what was stated in these motions, they're doing another one with this uh, Zamudio case, another horrific individual who apparently uh, they're saying he has intellectual disabilities. When you read the cases and you look at the conduct that occurred, they don't seem very stupid. They seem very criminally sophisticated. Um, these are not people who don't know what they're doing. These are hardcore, violent offenders who lie when they're caught, who come up with extravagant defenses, and who, in essence, don't want to be held accountable for their homicidal behavior. So George Gascon has been very clear in what he has said. Uh, in essence, he doesn't like the death penalty. He doesn't like life without the possibility of parole. And his directives are basically instructing prosecutors that we need to redo sentences in a manner that he himself, within the current opinions of the district attorney's office, meaning King George. That's right. So it 15 is years. That's it. 15 offense. years for the worst of crimes. You're only going to get 15 years in George uh, Gascon's world. <laughs> 
And you know what else, Ken? When we had, you know, uh, Steve Cooley when he was DA, Steve went out and he was the first guy in the state to have a very progressive view on three strikes. He's the guy that said, you know what, no, we're not going to have three strikes for individuals who have not had, uh, uh, whose current offense is not a serious or violent felony unless there are extreme exceptions. He was the one who, who implemented that program, and that was very successful. And now we've got a prosecutor who doesn't seem to care about victims at all. And I want to address one other thing that doesn't get talked about, and it is deeply offensive. Between George Gascone and George Soros and all these other individuals, they're constantly talking about the institutional uh, racism that's involved in this, and they're talking about how unfair it is. And what they don't point out is, who do you think 90% of the victims are in these cases? Who are these families? They're law-abiding people of color who are just trying to exist in these high-crime areas, which are getting worse and worse and worse every day. I don't know if you saw George Soros put out an editorial that was in the Wall Street Journal. I did just read it in the Wall Street Journal, yeah. 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 Why I support apparent, reform prosecutors, it's called. Yeah, well, well, it's our imagination, Ken. Apparently, crime is not up at all. It's worse yeah. in, 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 uh, in the Republican stronghold, supposedly. Uh, he's got studies, he says, which demonstrate how successful this is. Why don't you ask everybody out there who's seeing this increase in crime? And by the way, if there's anybody who thinks that COVID or bad schools or institutional racism is responsible for smashing grabs, yeah, gang so. members robbing people of jewelry and watches. It's opportunism. And basically, we got a DA who bring a gun to a crime, no additional yeah. penalty. All right, so, John, I got to go. I got to go. I appreciate your coming on once again. Love your passion. Thank you so much for updating us on this story. No problem. Thanks for having me. All right, Deputy DA John Lewin at George Gascon's office. And this is about his uh, attempt and he's working his way through to resentence people on death row to life without the possibility of parole, which, as we just talked about, uh, was going to lead to the next step, certainly getting everybody out of prison that he can. George Gascon believes that 15 years is enough time to serve, even for the worst of crimes, including a murder. So he's got these public defenders working the case for him. More coming up on the John and Ken Show on KFI and feedy cleanups and all these closures by LAPD. It's coming up next on the John and Ken Show on KFI. Here's a quote for you. It's from Kevin DeLeon, the Los Angeles City Councilman who ran for mayor and failed, who tried to recite the Pledge of Allegiance and failed. He's bemoaning the rude, inexcusable, immature, self-absorbed behavior that has forced multiple closures of the downtown Los Angeles 6th Street Bridge. He says, people need to act more mature. Apparently, uh, Friday afternoon, he spoke to reporters. We're not going to allow a small group of individuals to taint the image of the city or the bridge itself. Saying that 99% of the folks who've experienced that bridge love that bridge. It fills them with a sense of pride. They're over the moon on that bridge right there. Let's bring on Steve Gregory to talk about what LAPD has discovered and what they might be doing to try to clamp down on this behavior. Steve. Yeah. Hey, Ken. Uh, you know, it's funny in listening to you talk about uh, De Leon's uh, comments from last week. It's not a single group of people. This is multiple groups of people. And, and he was trying to make um, 
a point of saying that these are outsiders coming in causing this ruckus. Yeah, I keep hearing that one, outsiders. Yeah, and it doesn't, I mean, it doesn't really matter at this point. I mean, their driver licenses say California and they say <laughs> Los Angeles. It doesn't really matter if they're from one side of the bridge or the other side of the bridge. The issue is people are causing problems on this Sixth Street Bridge. Uh, which connects Boyle Heights to downtown Los Angeles. And it opened and reopened, as, you ever, as everyone might know, in the beginning of July after a $588 million retrofit and remodel. Now, the problem has been, and it was something that completely caught LAPD off guard, and that was these people, these vehicle takeovers, and then these bizarre uh, acts of, like, cutting someone's hair in the middle of the where the median would be, um, people standing up on the very top of the arches, you know, just all kinds of odd behavior. And it was a lot of it precipitated by, as De Leon also mentioned, that uh, this is the first time a bridge has opened in the social media era. <laughs> as if somehow that, you know, we have to blame social media, but it, you know how people are. And they see somebody posting pictures of themselves up there and someone's got to top that one or do that, you know, do something one better. But right. a lot of people are uh, going out there and posing for pictures. It's now become this, and it used to be an iconic landmark for people to make movies and TV shows. And, you know, it was a, an actual, you know, an artery into downtown L.A. Now it's just turned into this sort of, uh, uh, I don't know, this sort of iconic place to go wreak havoc. Going right. all the way back to July 22nd when the bridge was first closed... After it had opened, and they had to literally close it down because there were too many takeovers, too much criminal behavior, protests on the bridge. Um, they had uh, they had issues with people climbing up the sides of the bridge. They had all kinds of stuff. They were having to close it down, which was completely unexpected. The LAPD now is having to put together these task forces. Operation Central Bureau, along with Hollenbeck Division, are having to put these traffic enforcement uh, programs together. The, one of the first big ones happened yesterday from 2 p.m. to 10 p.m. And in just that eight-hour period, <laughs> just in an eight-hour period, right. 56 traffic stops on the bridge, <laughs> 44 citations issued, 11 warnings issued, four vehicles impounded, one arrested for having an ATV on the bridge, and one arrested for another vehicle uh, violation. Then they had to shut down the bridge for at least 20 minutes because a group of bicyclists and skateboarders overran the bridge, and it got out of control, and, and the cops had to close the bridge on both sides until those groups got over to the other side. So that's what's going on. Well, uh, 2 to 10 p.m., they did this yesterday. Now, they were clearly a presence there. They could they could be seen, the police mm -hmm. on the bridge, but these yeah. people came anywhere to do their stunts and yeah. to have their stupid fun and to make their videos. They came anyway yeah, I... to do this stuff to... Uh, uh, I'm looking at a report here that removal crews have cleaned up an average of 1,244 square feet of graffiti yeah. each day since the bridge opened. They're spending an hour, an average of 21 and a half hours a day at the bridge. That's almost a complete day. To the tune of a little over $700,000 in costs to remove that graffiti. And this is money that was not budgeted for that. And this is something, it, it wasn't even open a month and they're having to deal with this. I heard talk the other day, I heard some of the cops saying that there had been the uh, the term toll bridge being bandied about. I'm not sure if that's going oh, yeah. to come to fruition or not. <laughs> but that was something that was being discussed, that perhaps they might be shutting it down at certain times of the night, certain times of the day, whatever the case is. But they're reaching a point now where, and here's the big problem, Ken, is that the LAPD does not have the resources to be 
assigning a bridge task force. Oh, yeah, not at all. There's enough crime in the city yeah, they that they can't have somebody just standing around a bridge all day. That's yeah. ridiculous. And in, in, in shifts, you know, in revolving shifts, they can't afford the manpower to be standing over there watching to make sure uh, people aren't, you know, doing Can't they wheelies. get some ambassadors, Steve? Some bridge ambassadors? <laughs> Maybe Metro can lend them some of theirs. Yes, that's exactly um, right. <laughs> you know, that's a good idea. I'm not really sure. The problem is, is that uh, some of these things have turned violent like these protests and unruly crowds. So when LAPD tried to shut it down that one time, or they did successfully shut it down, they, they received so much pushback uh, from people saying that this was racist and that, you know, the, the LAPD shutting it down was stopping, you know, a, a certain class of people from being able to access downtown Los Angeles. And, you know, LAPD's, LAPD's like, this is a safety issue. This is not a racist issue. Plus, we want to make sure the bridge stays where it is. It's, if it's full of graffiti and people doing all sorts of stunts on it, something terrible is about to happen. People climbing up those archways, somebody's going to fall off. Yeah. The two largest groups right now they're most concerned with are these vehicle takeovers, which, you know, obviously full-sized vehicles going up there doing wheelies and driving on the opposite side of the lanes. That's the number one concern right now, safety concern, followed by groups of bicyclists and one of them uh, you know on july 26th uh, one of the bicyclists had shined a laser pointer into an officer's eye causing some damage officer nice. had to be taken to a hospital um and then they've got you know they're trying to put these bollards up these speed bumps and all this stuff is not going to stop criminal behavior it's just a matter of what level and what severity of criminal behavior will be allowed some of the things i'm hearing is and you probably saw the LA Times editorial, they want to shut it down to cars. They think it should be a pedestrian-only bridge. Anybody throwing that idea around? Um, well, they've talked about that as well. I mean, but then that, com that completely defeats the purpose of the $588 million investment in that bridge. Yeah, it's and, just for people to walk over right, it was a bicycle. For, exactly. If it was just going to be a pedestrian bridge, they probably could have saved a lot of money. But I don't think people realized this was going to happen. I don't think anyone expected this behavior on a bridge, no less. So now it's been about three weeks since it opened. Do they think this is going to peter out, that people are going to get tired of doing this? And I know it's not the same people, but eventually we'll exhaust the supply of yeah. idiots that wants to come and uh, do something on the bridge. Well, you until, think that could happen in a month or two? Or? Until the next big shiny thing comes along, you know, and, and LAPD is they're going to have to put a full court press on this. And they will. They'll eventually crack down hard enough to where it, 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 it'll be the deterrent. And then what will happen, most likely, as it does in other cases, it's the same thing with these takeovers that happened in the San Fernando Valley. You mm -hmm. know, they'll, they'll, be, they'll be quiet for a couple of weeks. You won't hear anything about it. And then things will die down. Officers will be redeployed in other areas. Then, boom, out of nowhere, they'll resurface. And that's the thing they're going to have to contend with, unless there's a way to put some sort of deterrent or some sort of a mechanical uh, uh, something more permanent or semi-permanent on the bridge. Yeah, <laughs> that's they say when they were laughing about it, they get told, but that you know that would never fly because if this, if they had to pay, the people had to pay from Boyle Heights to come over to L.A., downtown L.A. and pay a toll, that would not fly. I know it reminds me of remember sometimes when clubs get the wrong riffraff coming in, so they start to charge. Uh, yeah, a fee to come into the club. Yeah, it's the same thing. The riffraff off the bridge. We charge a toll. Maybe they won't try to get on the bridge. <laughs> well, and, or if you're going to do it like the club, then you say ladies are free till ten. That's right. That's right. You come up with some other crazy idea. Or guys are free until 10. I don't remember how it is. You know, guys get in free until 10. I don't remember how it goes. Did but. anybody say that this weekend was better or worse than the previous couple of weekends? Is it starting it's, to slow down? Or no. I know they did that big enforcement operation yesterday, and they still handed out a lot of tickets. Yeah. So. I mean, you kind of think, if you look back here and looking at the, the timeline of all the different things that happened, 
Yeah, there you had issues with people. Ambulance had to be called in two instances. Uh, the the vehicle takeovers, two handguns uh, that were recovered uh, as a part of one of these takeovers. That was on July twenty third, eleven o'clock at night. Um, let's see, group of trucks. This one caught me off guard. On the twenty fourth at six p.m., a large group of trucks, trucks showed up on the bridge, impeding traffic. And they were setting up for a street takeover, and then the cops had to end up shutting down the bridge. Another vaccine uh, protest? <laughs> what was that about? The trucks are back? <laughs> the trucks, yeah, the semis, the 18-wheelers. And then now the, the other thing, too, that they were worried about is that the bridge was becoming sort of a focal point of people protesting other things like the abortion rights issue and those kinds of things. So they're Yeah, you wonder that. when that's going to happen. I mean, they showed up at the museum of the L.A. Museum of Art the other yeah. day with their stupid anti-abortion or pro-abortion protest. And it's not it, right. It won't be very long before they show up on the bridge to do these kind of things. All right, Steve, thank you very much. You got it, buddy. Take care. All right, Steve Gregory with a full report about what LAPD is trying to do about the downtown Los Angeles 6th Street Bridge, which opened up just a few weeks ago and continues to be a place full of questionable behavior. More coming up here on the John and Ken Show on KFI. The big story, of course, this afternoon, which was a, a press conference by Joe Biden, or actually just a statement to the American people, that a CIA drone strike has taken out the leader of Al-Qaeda. His name is Zawahiri. He had been the top lieutenant to bin Laden, helped mastermind the 9-11 attack, including other attacks before that. They had been looking for him for some time, and actually it was reported he died of an illness a couple of years ago. That turned out not to be true as he showed up in what appeared to be new videos. In a statement today, the Taliban has confirmed that a strike did take place, and they strongly condemned it. We now have more details on the strike. It was conducted on a residential house in Kabul's Sherpur area. That's a wealthy downtown neighborhood where several Taliban government officials live. Of course, they're living the wealthy life. That's what happens. These people take over and act like, well, we're for the people. We got to overthrow the oppressive rich government. And they just live their own high life. The house that was struck was owned by a top aide to somebody by the name of Sirajuddin Haqqani, the interior minister for the Taliban. He is close to senior al-Qaeda officials. And, of course, he's wanted by the FBI for questioning. Yeah, just go over there and serve a warrant. I'm sure he'll show up and talk to you, Mr. FBI. Al Zahiri was standing on the balcony of this three-story home when two RX-9 missiles, a Hellfire missile armed with long blades, aimed at killing targets with kinetic energy to minimize the major collateral damage struck. So apparently they had been tracking Al-Zawahiri for some months, and they were pretty sure he was in this, quote, safe house, which is owned by one of the Taliban ministers. And they were looking for the right opportunity to hit. Now, I don't know whether or not the tracking was so elaborate that they were able to, like Zawahiri says, I'm just going to go out on the balcony and, you know, smoke a cigarette, a joint. I'll be right back because his family was in the home too. But according to these reports, only Al-Zawahiri was killed. Um, the Hellfire missiles were developed for these precise drone strikes 
and they're often used against high-value targets. I think we talked about these before with these blades and this kinetic energy. I'm not 100% sure how it worked. The first time we talked about this on the show, we thought, well, the blades just chop you up. So you don't have this big explosion, and all these other people die, or all these other buildings are destroyed. Uh, it was carried out in the early morning hours of Sunday. In Kabul, the time was about 6.18 in the morning. So I, it was a morning breakfast smoke. 9.48 p.m. Saturday Eastern Time in the United States. It says last year, U.S. intelligence officials learned that Zawahiri had moved to Afghanistan. Uh, this year, we identified that Al Zawahiri family, his wife, his daughter, and her children relocated to a safe house in Kabul, according to a senior administration officials. He was never seen leaving the safe house. Now, how they spy on a safe house in Afghanistan is interesting. I don't know whether or not they have sources inside the country that bring them this intelligence information or they're able to fly drones by or a secret <laughs> to see if they can capture any live video. What's going on? <clears throat> they are confident that only al-Zawahiri was killed and that members of the Haqqani Network, which is a terrorist group that's part of the Taliban government, removed the family from the safe house, I guess, immediately to another location. Uh, also, it was an effort to cover up that they'd been living in that space because I'm sure if you asked any Taliban government official, are you harboring any major Al-Qaeda figures there, like perhaps the leader of Al-Qaeda, Al-Zahiri? And the response was, of course not. We wouldn't do that. We have no connection to Al-Qaeda. They're not welcome in this country. I think they actually said that last year when we were planning to... Uh, to leave that country. They have no, they are, they're not welcome in Afghanistan. Uh, Al Zawahiri family members were present in other parts of the safe house at the time of the strike, but they were purposely not targeted because, as you know, a lot of criticism comes when you have what is called collateral damage, when you kill other people who are not the intended target and they were not part of the target security team or military or other operatives that are associated with him. They don't really like taking out family members who are not a directly a part of the terrorist network. Uh, apparently, Biden was first briefed on this guy's location back on July 1st. And the intelligence was described as rock solid. <clears throat> They're saying that Biden asked detailed questions. He examined a model of the house. Uh, they brought it into the Situation Room for him to see. Uh, he was asking constantly about the possibility of civilian casualties. He was assured that we can make the strike rather precise. And then he made the decision on July 25th to authorize the strike. But uh, they're emphasizing in this story that he wanted to make sure that the risk was minimized and only the target was taken out. So that's the details. Uh, we'll have to see in the coming days what the response is from al-Qaeda. Supposedly, they're already lining up a replacement for Zawahiri. All right, let's bring in Tim Conway hey Jr. Now, hey, now. hey uh, Ken, does it make you feel more comfortable that they ran all the details by the president before they actually went in? <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> you imagine that? You're like a five, six, seven-star general, and you got to you know go to this guy and say, "Okay, here's what we got." And he's like, oh, "I don't know, that. I don't know that. I don't know where that is." <laughs> uh, Steve Gregory's coming on with us tonight to talk about the Six Three Bridge. It's still in the news. That bridge yeah. is still in the news, ma'am. Have you been there yet? I have not. 
gone to see it. I, I want... think you should do the show from the bridge. The I would be great. Show. Yeah, add because to the... nighttime is when it happens. That's right. Yeah, add to the craziness. But I want to go down there on a Saturday night when it's about 110 degrees, and uh, you know, and everybody comes out. That's what oh, yes, that's, that's, that's when it's really wild. Yeah. Uh, 1.34 billion dollar Mega Millions ticket was sold in Chicago. Um, yeah. In a pla- I, I think it's the Plains. The Plains. Uh, yeah. It's near the airport. I understand near O'Hare. Yes, and you know what? It's only about a five or ten minute drive from Highland Park. Isn't that crazy? Where that? Um, oh, where they, the, the shooting, shooting was. Yeah, right. that was wild. Oh. And then a major recall of 52, 53 nutritional and beverage products. We'll uh, lay those on you. And I don't. I, if they're nutritional products, I don't drink or eat any of them. <laughs> and then they, your rent might be going up by ten percent. Could start what? today. And, well, I don't pay rent. Yeah, and and Steve Gregory's on, so that's the coolest part of it. I mean, you know, everything else here sucks. Steve Gregory's yeah, coming up. Oh, look at that. Yeah. And NBA legend Bill Gregory. Russell died. You know, have you ever, did yeah. you ever see him play? You're probably too young. I first started watching the NBA when he was still a star, but I wasn't oh, okay. really focused on it right in the 60s. Is when yeah, he won right. most of his rings. Yeah. yeah. You know, but I, I go back to, like, my mom was a big He was Jerry an announcer, fan. though. He was like an analyst for yes. The, yes, the yes, ABC yes. for years. Yeah, he was, uh, he was great. But uh, um, I, I go back to uh, Jerry West. I mean, I saw Jerry West play uh, basketball. My, my mom was a huge Laker fan. Oh. Kermit Washington, right. uh, you know, Will Chamberlain, the whole run. That's quite the years. All yes. Right. All right. Ding dong with you. Ding dong. Conway's coming Daddy! up next. It's KFI and KOST HD2 Los Angeles, Orange County. And Michael Ding Crozier dong. has the news now. It's never been more important to diversify your financial portfolio. Well, that's right. The S&P is down 20% from the last year, and this year looks even worse. Gold and precious metals offer a hedge against inflation and stock market volatility. And Legacy Precious Metals is the company Ken and I trust. Protect your retirement account by rolling it into a gold-backed IRA or have metals shipped directly to your door. Call our friends at Legacy Precious Metals today at 866-691-2173. Or visit buylegacygold.com. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists, like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Jenna Jackson, Kids Bop Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. I'm so excited to tell you JCPenney and country music singer-songwriter Walker Hayes are partnering together on a new limited-time men's collection for the everyday guy. What I love about Walker Hayes is his laid-back nature. He's a family man and being a country megastar while also having seven kids. You know he likes to keep his style cool and casual. This new collection is perfect for the guy living the t-shirt life or someone wanting some fresh options that feel just as good. It's easy to wear, affordable styles that celebrate the ultimate family man, along with the quality, durability, and sensibility dads appreciate. Available online Saturday, May 4th at jcp.com and in-store Thursday, May 16th. Just in time for Father's Day. Limited time only. JCPenney, make it count.